as someone that's been uh, practicing the Dharma in this tradition, this early Buddhist tradition, Theravadan tradition for a while, I oftentimes find myself looking for more. I think it's a good idea and a good practice to simplify the practice itself and to remember some of the basics and some of the fundamental elements of Buddhist practice. Because it's really the form, it's really the path that the Buddha taught was something that he really felt and through his direct experience came to realize was something that each one of us has the potential to do, which is to wake up to the causes of distress in our lives and to transform our relationship to pain, to pleasure, to learn to meet and to embrace our pain with compassion, with an open heart, with some vulnerability, and to enjoy, to actively take delight in the parts of our lives that call forth some excitement, gratitude. The foundation of the Buddhist teaching was focused on non-harming. And so before he really taught meditation, what he did is he encouraged folks to take up this practice of non-harming, this kind of ethical stance. And this is what we lose a lot of, and I myself teach mindfulness in the secular world, so out of the context of the Buddha's teaching or the Dharma. We oftentimes lose this, this ethical foundation of making a commitment to ourselves and to others, to the world that we live in, to take up a stance of non-harming. The direct path to finding more ease and well-being in our lives, the Buddha said, was uh, this practice of mindfulness. He called this satipatthana, or the foundations of mindfulness. And so when we practice meditation, we practice this capacity to be more mindful, to monitor our thoughts, our emotions, sensations, to practice more presence. It only makes sense that the intention, first and foremost, when we practice mindfulness is to take up an internal attitude of non-harming. And so meditation should always be done, in my opinion, with practice inclining towards kindness, gentleness, an approach that's forgiving, that's non-judgmental. Especially for our culture, the self-improvement model gets stamped into a lot of my thinking. So I don't want to make this another practice of improving the self. Trying to make myself more efficient or more, you know, 
more anything, really what we're doing is we're practicing subtracting, renunciation, of, of letting go of what's not needed. And so how do I meditate? Well, there are techniques, and we'll talk about some of those. Tonight I want to talk about metta practice, or traditionally called loving-kindness practice. We'll break that down a little bit together. So when I meditate, I, I want to know maybe techniques and skills and ways of practicing, but not that at the expense of slowing down is what I call it, just taking, inviting myself to just sit. The best thing I can get out of this practice is really, some French philosopher said, all human suffering stems from the fact that man cannot sit in a room by himself or herself. It's slowing down, developing uh, this quality of inner patience. We can't accept without slowing down. I, I don't believe that acceptance is even possible unless patience is available. I try to accept a lot of times, but I place conditions if I'm not slowing down enough, if I'm not patient enough, it comes with conditions. And so uh, the Buddha practiced, which was common for his day, throughout his life, many forms of meditation. And meditation is a word that came... I believe it's more of an 18th century word that came from the Christian context and religion. And so back in the Buddhist time, meditation was something uh, more closely related to this word bhavana or cultivation. Or this other word, anupasati, which means to repeatedly look at. And so contemplative practice, what we're doing here is we're bringing to mind a framework and form of practice... Uh, to cultivate and to develop. The Buddha used a lot of imagery and a lot of metaphors around the agrarian lifestyle, around farming. And so he was very much interested in sharing about planting seeds, watering seeds, and picking fruit, bearing fruit. And this idea and this metaphor of cultivating and developing qualities that create and sustain our well-being and happiness. From a Buddhist perspective, I, I like to say that happiness is a collection of good habits. It's not any destination. It's not a place that I'm going to finally get if I just meditate enough or if I just uh, am Buddhist enough. It's uh, simply a matter of what I cultivate. And so I cultivate, first and foremost, this attitude and quality of non-harming. These uh, ethical qualities in the Buddhist context are called Brahma-Vihara practices or heart practices. I like to think that the Buddha used this phrase Brahma-Vihara, it's a Pali Sanskrit word or combination of some words, that 
means divine abode or divine dwelling place. Brahma is the word that they would have used for God. I like to believe that he used this somewhat tongue-in-cheek because his invitation was that there, to not seek any external refuge. And no God out there, uh, no divine dwelling place or thing to take, take refuge in externally. He said, but these qualities of our heart, these heart practices, kindness, compassion, appreciation, equanimity, these heart qualities are already available. They're already, they have the potential to awaken and to alive in, in us if we practice them, if we bring them forward. And this is cool because in neuroscience we know that we have the same understanding that you can actually, we have neuroplasticity, right? So we can bring qualities we know, and I, I like to say this, because we know we can practice behaviors and get better at them. Sports, even language, intellectual knowledge. We do flashcards, right? I remember doing that in school and learning things about things. Uh, we can also practice emotional responsiveness. We can practice training our attention with mindfulness, knowing that attention is one of the most powerful things, capacities of our mind, whatever we pay attention to gets magnified, made in the mind. And so developing these heart qualities is intentionally calling forth parts of our emotional life, of our mental view of the world that create and sustain more ease and well-being. And so this being said, the Buddha didn't have any direct instruction on how to practice heart practices. Uh, it was maybe even an afterthought to his own awakening, realizing the need of his monastic, of the monastic community, his disciples, to work with things like fear, and pain, grief, and despair, and a lot of these emotions that we ourselves find are probably some of the most challenging aspects of our lives. This is the practice of dwelling in uh, and intentionally cultivating the heart. Liberation, this word nirvana that we know uh, partially from the grunge 90s band. Uh, Pali Sanskrit, nibbana, means to cool down. And so again, uh, nirvana not being a state or an event to waken into, but a process and a quality of cooling down our reactivity. So what better to cool down than the gentle attitude of kind, kind friendliness, friendliness, kindness, compassion, appreciation, and bringing these qualities out. 
And so metta practice, what we're here to talk about and to practice tonight, um, it's M-E-T-T-A, metta. Most commonly, metta, if you look it up, or you, um, Sharon Salzberg, who's one of, I think, the best teachers of metta and loving-kindness practice, wrote a book called Loving-Kindness. And this is a very common translation of this word. It's a little bit problematic for me personally because there's so much that comes with the idea and concept of love. Uh, The heart practices were really the last on my list as far as what I wanted to embrace and you know, develop a daily practice around when I uh, started coming here. And so it helped to know and to understand a little more the history and some of the context behind what metta is and how we practice it. And so hopefully we'll cover some of that. Metta has the same foundation or same etymology as the word kalyanamita, which in Pali Sanskrit means spiritual friendship. And so more than a loving kindness, what we're bringing forward and bringing forth is this quality of boundless friendliness, a gentle, friendly attitude. Metta, more than just an emotional feeling is, I would say, a pervasive worldview. It's a view that all beings inherently desire more than anything to feel safe, secure, to have some assurance of worthiness, inclusivity, not being abandoned, ostracized, hurt, harmed. And so metta is developing this quality and this view of kindness, friendliness, goodwill towards self and towards others. The Buddha encouraged us to practice all of these meditative practices these cultivation practices, bhavana, internally, externally, and both, he said. So towards ourselves, towards others in the world at large, and then in relationship with, in communication with, in community with. Part of practicing metta then externally would be to undertake the practice of generosity, making a commitment to be of service, looking for more opportunities and considering that our behavior and our interaction with other people is hugely in part what contributes to our own well-being. That my sense of safety and security almost directly correlates to the safety and security that I help contribute to in my relationships and my communities and my interactions with people. And so in Buddhism, 
Uh, every Buddhist school pretty much has some degree of precepts, of taking training precepts. Basically, all five of these precepts uh, mimic what we already talked about as a non-harming, is vowing to train ourselves to not ca- cause harm towards other beings intentionally. Uh, to not take what's not freely offered. That creates safety, security. Imagine that if all of us had that intention at the forefront of our minds or that intention on a daily basis to not take what's not freely offered what kind of world would that be and so the cynic in me wants to say well that's not realistic right but the the permission from metta this permission is boundless so the buddha set a really high bar He says uh, that we want to develop this quality inward, outward, in all directions towards all beings in the world, to not cause harm, to not take what's not freely offered, to be wise and careful in our sexual energy, and how we express that, to be wise and careful in our communication, refraining from being dishonest or manipulative to the best of our abilities. And to be very careful about what we consume. So how does this develop metta or kindness, friendliness? Well, we all know that if we are consumed by things like even illness, sickness, which we don't actively consume, but when you're sick, it affects how you interact with people, it affects your mood. And so what we take in, what we eat, what we smoke, what we drink, uh, what social media we look at, uh, you know, what, we, what newspapers we read, which conversations, which gossip we participate in, all anything we consume creates an inner environment. And are we consuming things that relate and correlate to our, our sense of inner safety? goodwill. So all of these precepts are actions, are based in our behavior, our inner behavior, our external behavior, and they're trainings. They're not rules. They're not commandments. They're what, through practice, create a container of living in a society in a world that's much safer. When we go on retreat, many of us in this room went on a retreat, a seven-day silent meditation retreat uh, a few weeks ago. When you go on retreat, you take these precepts, and all the doors are left unlocked on retreat, for the most part. All the doors are left unlocked. We don't uh, talk. We hold a container of silence so we don't cause harm with our speech. We know that things can be more dependable if we uphold or we hold on. Hold on's maybe never the right language, but we practice in this way. You know, we'll be fed, we'll be taken care of, we'll have a place to sleep, our belongings are safe. 
And then what I want to move into talking about now is developing this quality of metta, this quality of the heart. In Eastern, in the Eastern tradition, the heart and the mind are intertwined. There's not separate words for them. So we may have something like heart, and we may mean physical heart, or we may mean oftentimes the emotional heart. And then we have mind, the thinking mind. Usually mind gets a bad rep. The heart is the good guy. The mind's usually the bad guy. <laughs> but uh, heart and mind are both intertwined in this one word, chitta, or heart mind. This developing our intention, our mental intention, our mental attitude... Right? And our accessing and being willing to touch into our vulnerable nature, our sensitive nature. Most of what my personal suffering these days comes from my fear of being vulnerable. So developing the heart my sensitivity, my vulnerability. Metta is how we practice. Is It's a also a contemplative meditation practice. So we sit and we actually intentionally develop this quality. As three applications and three reasons why we would sit and practice this quality. The first is for concentration. So how do we practice? What we traditionally, not really long-standing tradition, but in the West have come to do to practice metta is to use phrases. Some of us use imagery um, as a way to realize that most of our thinking is done either in images or through the sound of our own voice in our head. And so by using either imagery or phrases, what you do is you occupy your attention with something. And if you occupy your attention with phrases, may I be at ease, may I be kind and gentle towards myself, may I be happy, may I be free, May I be at ease. May I be kind and gentle towards myself. May I be happy. May I be free. We give ourselves an anchor. We give ourselves an object of meditation. Something to attune to. A practice that we can cultivate. And it gives us a sense of being able to collect our attention into a phrase, an image. A lot of our distress comes from the distracted mind, the untrained mind. Our attention seems to be scattered and spread out over our various tasks that we have to prepare, the future, our past regrets and mistakes, things we could have done better or should have said differently. We live in a very spread out, 
attention deficit culture where our attention is maybe not necessarily in deficit but just all over the place and so the feeling and the sense of practicing being able to collect the attention into using phrases or imagery gives a sense of feeling less scattered less caught up in the to-do mind and more present and so just as when we may sit and develop some concentration or collectedness of awareness, the samadhi or this collecting our awareness through mindfulness of breathing, in the same way during metta practice we use phrases as an anchor. It's a way to come back when the mind wanders, as it will always wander. But it's a home base. It's a where we can start over. Over time, and I'm sure a lot of us that have experience with meditation practice for a prolonged period of time, this ability to find attention and place our attention on an object, that capacity can get stronger. And there's more of a sense of knowing where the attention is and how to bring it back. So collecting the attention, this one application of metta is is concentration. Another application of metta practice is, so here we are saying, silently reflecting, may I be at ease, may I be kind and gentle towards myself, may I be happy, may I be free. Oftentimes as we sit and we practice this intention and developing this inner practice, the mind will lash out almost a sense of defiance oh my god I can't believe I'm sitting in this room at 7.30 on a Sunday night telling myself that I love myself right? how bad has it gotten man come on <laughs> man, I'd be at ease it's like oh my god just ring the bell right? <laughs> seeing the resistance to this even this attitude or this idea that you know, that, that uh, permission is available, that, that it's not even permission, it's a declaration that may I, you know, an offering, it's a gener- generosity practice, may I be at ease. And trying that on, this is the third type, and so there's the purification practice, is the second type, of seeing the resistance. Because that can be really insightful. That's why it's a good practice, is we can see that the mind doesn't even really want to get behind that sometimes. You know, there's this, 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 this social belief, even. There's this really deep patterning that if I can just judge myself enough, I won't get off task. If I'm hard enough on myself, that that's almost what uh, creates the safety and security is that I need to beat up on myself. And so it's almost a little bit ungrounding to to take on a meditation practice and to come into this room and to really dive deep into this practice because what it does is it takes away our defense mechanisms. Perfectionism, expectation, the craving for certainty. And this system of self-criticism and comparing that keeps these mechanisms in place. 
Do we see how much suffering, I mean, how much of my mind is just comparing myself to other people all fucking day long? Or comparing myself to other versions of myself? Or where I could be, or where I should be, or I would be happy if I got, if I'd worked hard enough, or if I prepared more. If I would have tried harder in college, right? All of the woulda, coulda, shouldas. And so we get to look, this purification gets to kind of expose some of these really core beliefs that our mind's holding on to. Everything that it says that, oh, you don't, you can be at ease once you get the project done, once you get a job, once you get a boyfriend. Concentration practice, a purification, because we get to see this resistance sometimes, and then it's a cultivation practice. And for the science nerds, I like to sometimes know the reason why maybe some of this stuff is helpful. Uh, we know, and I talked about emotion last week here, we know that when our emotion, the emotional system, the limbic system primarily, kicks in, hyper alert. Emotion, I defined last week, as a felt sense of or perceived threats and opportunities in the environment. And so when the fight-flight-freeze or the emotion system kicks in, it flips our capacity to rationally think, to logically, linearly think, to consider outcomes, because emotion doesn't care about those things. Emotion are messages to call to action. And so here we are sitting, may I be at ease, may I be kind and gentle, may I be happy, may I be free, using language which isn't of the emotional mind as much, training ourselves in a procedure that the mind can remember when we become emotionally activated. We are developing a system, a training of self-soothing. Reminding the emotional mind that we can come back down. We can ground, we can settle, we can restart. You know, emotions, I like to think of it like kind of like eating food. You need to metabolize emotions. They need to run through us. You can't get rid of I've tried so hard, I still do. So many emotions that I'd rather just not feel. <laughs> right? But we don't get that choice. They're just they're a part of the system. And we need to metabolize them. They need to run through, but when we hold on, yeah, we grit our teeth and we just try harder or we push away or we you know well, we can't settle them, we can't process them. And so this cultivation practice of metta helps to procedurally train this response. Reminding ourselves in our most activated states that we are in fact, and in, in sometimes we aren't in situations where we can be at ease, and that's when we run on the emotion. That's great. That's there for you. Run, fight, flight, whatever you got to do. But oftentimes when we're triggered by the, job interview and we think it's the saber-toothed tiger, right? 
it's like, oh man, that's not really so useful to just be blood pumping and full adrenaline walking into a job interview. Oh, okay, cultivating this metta, that's, that shows up for us at a later time when we need it. May I be at ease. May I be kind and gentle. Yeah. And so before we practice, the, I want to talk about the technique itself. Metta, there are many, many ways to practice. I, I actually highly encourage everyone to, there are tons of great, uh, great literature. Sharon Salzberg's personally one of my favorite teachers of uh, loving kindness and metta. But there are many ways, because we're creative beings, it's really actually helpful to use your creativity to ge- generate and to develop these qualities, this intention. Um, and I will say, myself being creative to my own demise sometimes, it's helpful to have a format, some structure. And so my encouragement for tonight, too, is to take on, I'm going to offer just one way of practice. And there are many more, and if it doesn't work, you know, keep trying it for a little bit. Maybe you're doing the purification of looking at what's getting in the way. Uh, But try it for a little bit, and then you can do your own research. But how I like to practice is to use phrases. I don't like to use any more than four to keep the practice simple. The phrases that I use are, may I be at ease? May I be kind and gentle towards myself? I like to set a high bar for one of them. May I be happy? especially because there's so much stuff that comes up for me around what that is and what that means. But it's good to almost fantasize and imagine what would that feel like in my body and in my mind if happiness was present. May I be happy and then may I be free. When I talk about freedom, it's this felt sense of, and we know the sense of relief. If all of the pressure and the stress in your life was just to completely go out of the door and be gone like that, what would that feel like on your nervous system, on your mind? And so as I say each phrase to myself, we say these silently and we just repeat them to ourselves silently. As you say each phrase, you want to try it on. It's like trying on clothes. Uh, We have a myth of authenticity in our culture that I need to feel some way first in order to believe it or to to take stock in it. But this, we're we're asking that we do the opposite. That practice, practice trying it out and trying it on. And, And the faith in the practice will come later. I don't know why we have this backwards, it's like, you know, faith comes through experience. It's not the other way around. And so trying on each phrase as you say, may I be at ease, what would that feel like? Just, you know, taking a moment when you say it, in your body, what would that feel like? To your mind. So if you get distracted, you can even offer these phrases towards whatever is distracting. Oh, there's that thought about, you know, the project or the thing I didn't do or forgot to do, my insecurity in this relationship. May I be at ease with that thought? Trying that out. 
not to add too much information, but there are categories in which, because this is doing metta for self, that's what we focused on mostly, but we also can sit and practice this quality and this intention of metta towards all beings. And so the categories are metta towards a benefactor or someone that it is easy to feel kind and gentle towards. Someone that uh, easily offers those qualities to you. This being or this person, it's best if they're alive. It can be a pet. The person can change. It's not always necessarily the same person. But during the meditation, if you're practicing metta towards a benefactor, uh, it's the same person the whole time you're practicing instead of it jumping around. So tonight we're going to do benefactor we're going to do metta for self, and then we're going to do metta for all beings. But the other categories, if you're interested, is you also do, can do metta practice for a neutral person or a person you don't feel particularly any kind of way towards. I like to use uh, some place that I frequent, someone that works there, like works at the counter or something that I see regularly but I have no relationship with. This can be actually a pretty awesome practice because I'm sitting here developing metta, holding this person in mind, offering these phrases to them. And then I noticed one day I was going to the YMCA and this guy was there. I was like smiling ear to ear. Look, he's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you know, scan my card. I go, yeah, man. Love you, bro. You know, so it, it can actually be a really, really fruitful practice, you know, just the everyday interaction of bringing this quality forward. Because this is the thing, is that we're, we kind of like, you know, we get so stuck in the negativity bias of the mind. We're just like focusing on what could be better and, you know, man, all my stresses and all my stuff. If we can bring these qualities forward, they show up for us. You know, so a neutral person, then a difficult person. Uh, if you are going to do the practice, I suggest benefactor first, self second, neutral person third, difficult person fourth, and then all beings fifth. So those are usually the five categories. Spending five to ten minutes, this would be 50 minutes, but let's say five minutes on each category throughout a period of meditation. And if you're going to do metta for a difficult person, you don't want to pick up the 50-pound weight right away. You want to build up your metta strength. So go with someone that's just mildly irritating and annoying that you love, you know, you care about, but they just kind of piss you off a little bit. All right. So I want to, because we've been sitting... Uh, give you just a few minutes to stretch, stretch your legs, uh, three or four minutes, you need to run to the bathroom, and then we'll do some practice together, so please uh, stretch and uh, hurry back.